I thought I'd start today talking about uh, the civil affairs. I thought I'd start here with civil affairs. I'm kind of taking a, a step sideways off of uh, tracking to go into civil affairs. I talked about it. Uh, and this was in a previous episode um, with the example in uh, Vietnam of uh, encountering. I had to start and stop this a couple times, so hopefully this is smoother than it seems to be on this end. But uh, the example that I gave in a, some previous a previous uh, segment was in Vietnam. Uh, a um, a combat patrol might be out um, on a regular routine patrol and encounter uh, some kind of um, incoming tracks off of an unused trail and they would partially track this set of tracks on a on what was considered to be an unused trail and then uh, report that into um, their command structure to go on to a sitmap as being a, a trail that was back into use uh, by the Viet Cong across the uh, Cambodian and uh, Vietnam border. So then that would uh, that would reestablish that that uh, unused trail as being a used trail on the map. And then that, um, that track would be exploited. They would send in a patrol to specifically follow that track as far as it went and, um, and recon it all the way back up the trail as far as they can go into Cambodia. So it wasn't really legal to cross the the border into Cambodian Laos. Uh, and this was done covertly. So this is an example also of uh, covert versus overt tracking. And in this circumstance, uh, one of the groups of people that would be involved in this would be uh, what during the Vietnam War was called civil affairs. And this was a this was a um, a uh, area of uh, military uh, occupation or military standardization in Vietnam that was largely occupied or largely staffed by. Um, the counterintelligence, U.S. counterintelligence. So that's why I'm going to go over civil affairs, and I can just so when you're when you're trying to construct a piece of fiction or uh, recount a piece of fact based into a fictional um, a fictional account, uh, it's a good idea to have some. Um, basis in civil affairs. Civil affairs 
is a liaison point between the military and the local civilian government and laws. And it's the, um, the fulcrum point or the, um, the action point for, uh, legal function of the military inside a foreign national structure. Um, and this doesn't seem very relevant, but to put it into perspective, when um, another another segment that I, I used, uh, this is a, an example of another segment, uh, you're in... Um, you're in the Amazon and you are, uh, you're in a, you were in a military downed aircraft. Uh, you were on a covert mission, uh, in Colombia and you, uh, for some reason had mission, um, extension into the Amazon jungle. Your plane was downed by uh, mechanical failure. And you are the only survivor. You're in the Amazon. And you're moving through the Amazon. Now, this is a mostly a wilderness environment. But you do encounter some um, national Amazonian tribes. And your encounters with those tribes as a military, a downed military pilot, would be that would be an example of um, a sort of a civil affairs interaction with locals. The locals in this case would be a, uh, would be, you know, Amazonian tribes, possibly a variety of tribes as you moved across a, an area of the Amazon and each of those encounters uh, and how you um, handle those encounters and the legality of, your position, which is not really legal, and their position uh, within a legal framework of the um, Brazilian and adjacent national borders and their own tribal legality, is uh, that's what civil affairs is. So an example of this in fiction, a really good example of this that has to do with... Um, with uh, science and fiction is uh, Stargate. This is a, a TV show and a movie that's been on for a while. Uh, in Stargate, uh, the storyline is uh, this, uh, this um, alien uh, portal has been located and uh, it's been found to uh, transport via some sort of um, wormhole effect from Earth to uh, to um, alien locations based on a dial-in uh, gate um, latching. So, you know, they set the they set the dial on the gate and then the gate goes to some unknown intergalactic location. So the, the group in this secret program that's exploring the uses and 
uh, destinations of this gate uh, is made up of a group of military and civilian personnel. Uh, most of the civilian personnel have some military back, uh, you know, experience, and it is an example of a civil affairs um, effort or uh, operation or mission uh, that's used as a um, as a literary or uh, cinemographic um, construction to keep the storyline uh, active in both the military and the civilian sections. You know, obviously they're going to a, a alien planet. So in this on this alien planet, you know, none of the uh, human or Earth uh, civil versus military apply the same way. So this is a good example of civil affairs in um, in uh, in a fictional setting that involves um, space and time. So I'm going to go through the basis of civil affairs, the basic uh, standards of civil affairs, and I, and I'll try to put them into, you know, make them. Uh, a little bit more clear, make a little bit more clear where they align with what's already been talked about. So the the purpose and uh, the um, the scope of the um, of civil affairs operation is. Uh, you know, it mostly it mostly is uh, relevant to uh, both non-nuclear and nuclear war, general or limited war, and uh, in the operations of uh, those situations that are short of war or a cold war uh, or peacetime um, to include uh, peacekeeping operations uh, we've had recent experience with that. Uh, and it's, um, it requires a, a fulfilling of international obligations and the, the providing of maximum support for, for military operations uh, by the planning, the conduct, and the supervision of, of civil affairs operations and activities. And uh, civil affairs itself as a, as a term uh, is uh, the phase of activity uh, that um, that intersects the relationship between the military forces and the civilian authorities and people uh, located in a friendly territory or occupied area where military forces are present. And in an occupied country or area, this can include the, the exercise of executive, legislative, and judicial authority by the occupying power. So recent example of this is in Afghanistan. So for peacekeeping example, uh, Bosnia-Kosovo and um, the actions there, and then, uh, and then for um, the most recent 
uh, establishment of a of um, legal and uh, judicial occupation would be Afghanistan. Um, so those operations, the activities that directly support a political military mission, that's any project or activity uh, of a military unit that involves points of contact with or, or designed or are designed to influence or uh, control civilians and civilian organizations outside the military establishment, and that can be classified as a civil affairs operation, uh, regardless of the location of the activity or the size or the participating military unit. So the legal aspect of civil affairs operations um, can be governed by uh, provisions of U.S. law or the law of a state, a territory, possession, or or other political subdivision inside the United States, a bilateral or multilateral agreement that includes a, an agreement uh, concluded without formalities, like with Japan, or required uh, a required um, formality of treaty, uh, a rule of law established by custom, or a provision of the law of a foreign state made relevant by the provision of a U.S. law, uh, or the terms of an international agreement or rule of international law. So uh, military authority or control in a civil affairs operation, that can extend from uh, measures of liaison and, and coordination with, uh, with the, the appropriate local civilian agency uh, to the furnishing of or assistance and support to local officials and populations, or even to the assumption of responsibility for the exercise of some or all of the functions of government in the, in the locality in question. So that includes Vietnam, Afghanistan, Bosnia-Kosovo, um, the Ukraine right now, uh, uh, Syria. Those all, you know, there's always a mission for it in, in most locations. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's more military, sometimes it's more civilian, uh, depending on what's going on there. Uh, prior to the U.S. occupation of uh, Afghanistan, of course, uh, was the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, and there was a there was a um, a civil affairs uh, U.S. civil affairs um, covert operation there at that time. So it you know it does uh, it does have some relevance to. Um, you know, to putting together uh, a varied, um, constructed environment uh, that includes both a military and a civilian aspect of consideration. Uh, the, uh, the local civilian agency uh, the, the, the scope of the military authority or the control in a, in a civilian affairs operation uh, extends from a measure of liaison and coordination with local civilian agencies and, and then to the furnishing of assistance and support to local officials and populations uh, or even to the assumption of responsibility for the exercise or, of some or all of the functions of government in the locality in question. 
Um, so this happened, uh, this happened in Afghanistan. Um, you know, the government is no longer functional and the, uh, the part of the military presence in the country is part of the U S military presence in the country is to, uh, establish some framework of authority inside the country. That's not just an occupational authority. And that's, uh, you know, setting up uh, a variety of civilian non-existent or defunct or deposed uh, civilian institutions. Um, the degree of authority or control necessary to assure the success of a civil affairs operation at all times has to be consistent with, with law and uh, the factual posture of the civil affairs uh, relation. So this this is one of the difficulties <laughs> of civil affairs. Um, sometimes civil affairs is in a completely lawless area. There's there's there is no functional government or law to speak of. The military, the the occupying military force is the only uh, legal um, presence in the location, and uh, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of possibility of misuse or um, uh, mistaken misuse of, intentional misuse of or mistaken misuse of, uh, you know, the lawlessness of the land. So it's in setting up new institutions, it has to really be, the law has to really be adhered to. And there's a, there's a hierarchy of law. There's the international law, and that applies to that applies to all countries. And then there's the national law, and that's that's the law that's in place in that country. And sometimes that law isn't the same as a, a judicial law, as sometimes it's a it's a religious-based law, or it has some other form of um, uh, jurisprudence uh, um, relationship that is part of the social structure of the country. So to keep continuity or integrity of the the social uh, structure and fabric of the of the country the it's necessary to align any uh, replacement or um, fill-in uh, government construction to, to keep that in alignment with uh, the original, um, standards of, uh, government or legal function in the country. Uh, the, the degree, the degree of authority or control necessary to assure the success of civil affairs, um, is reliant on, uh, uh the civil defense and that's all those activities and measures that are designed or undertaken that uh, they minimize the effects upon the civilian population that's uh, caused by or which would be caused by uh, an attack, an enemy attack. And uh, the, the measures also deal with the, uh, the immediate emergency conditions, uh, which would be created by any such attack. And they... 
effectuate uh, emergency repairs to or the emergency restoration of vital utilities and facilities destroyed or damaged by any such attack. So if an occupying force goes in and they have during the during the entry and and occupying um, conflict, they destroyed all of the radio stations. They, they it would be necessary to reestablish radio stations because radio stations are a this is a a, a functional uh, communication device of a population that uh, the population is reliant on. So you would want to reconstruct. Uh, and and re reactivate your radio stations. Um, so civil emergency, uh, for example, um, radio stations provide a basic for civil emergency. Uh, this is uh, you know um, incoming reports of incoming bombers, reports of incoming nuclear weapons. Uh, reports of um, invasion patterns across an area, uh, um, warnings to populations to evacuate the area, um, uh, you know, directions for and advice for evacuation along safe routes and so on. So, like this is a this this shows how a radio station makes a, a huge difference. I mean, it, it, uh, it helps, um, inform a population, you know, along, uh, the international standard for safeguarding, uh, non-involved population. So that's a uh, non-combatant population, so women and children who are not involved. Um, I started to go through the, uh, the legality of it. So there's the international law, that's the, that's the, uh, that applies to all nations. Uh, we have international agreements amongst most nations, and even if these na the nation that is involved has, is not, did not sign the international law, those nations going in, they are obliged to uh, maintain that international law inside that inside the country so there's international law and then there's the national law of that land then there's the national law of the invading force so in this case we'd be talking about the United States so the the national law of the United States is uh, we adhere to international law and we maintain a standard of human rights and this this establishes our our civil affairs, um, operations and activities for the most part. And, uh, you know, if it's, if you're talking about another country, then, uh, the, the laws of that country would establish the, um, operations and, and, and affairs, civil affairs, operations and effects of that invading country. So in Star Trek, uh, the main, um, the main statement of uh, encountering a, a foreign um, interplanetary intergalactic society is um, 
you know, to, to, to stay out of it, uh, to visit, but to, in no way, um, uh, you know, manipulate or, um, uh, involve, um, the affairs of earth with the, uh, with the, um, the foreign planets, um, government and laws and their society. Uh, the, several of the, uh, enemies of the Federation in Star Trek, they have a, um, they don't have the same regulation. So the Klingons, uh, prior to signing agreements with the Federation, they didn't have any such reg regulation. So when they went, when they encountered a, a planet that had a population on it, they, they, uh, you know, they, they added the population to the Klingon map rather than leaving the population on the planet and the planet, uh, alone to itself as its own functioning government and, um, and society, they appended it on to the, uh, the Klingon map. So this is an example of the difference in, in civil affairs. I mean, civil affairs, you know, most countries have some form of civil affairs when they, when they invade another country or when they do peacekeeping operations in another country or when they, um, have some sort of a military, uh, encounter with another country and each country's, uh, political and um, socio-political and socio-economic standards uh, defines their civil affairs actions and accountability in in a, uh, a occupying situation. So uh, the degree of authority and control uh, has to um, has to be consistent with law and, uh, and the factual, uh, posture of the, of the civil affairs, uh, accountability relationship with the military and with, with the military's, um, accountability to law and with the, uh, the civil affairs, uh, mission accountability to two sets of law. That would be military law and well, three sets really. So military law is one of them. And then the, the, uh, U S federal law, uh, somewhat to the national law of the country in occupation and, uh, and then to international law. So three large sets, international, federal, and military, and then, uh, and then a, a minor law set. And that would be the, the local laws. So civil defense uh, minimizes um, the effects uh, on the civil, civilian po population. Um, 
it deals with immediate uh, emergency conditions uh, that would be created by any attack, and it effectuates emergency repairs to or emergency restoration of vital utilities and facilities. Um, so in Afghanistan, uh, this took place by um, uh, units were forbidden to attack livestock. Uh, livestock, was, you know, it's, it's an important um, socioeconomic function in Afghanistan. Uh, they run largely off of their livestock. And so, you know, units, military units were forbidden to, uh, you know, slaughter animals or uh, destroy property or um, drink in country. And um, sometimes this would happen. Sometimes there would be a raid <clears throat> on, a, on a site or there would be some sort of door-to-door um, search through some area and there would be some destruction to property or a dog would be killed or uh, some goats would be killed or some livestock would be killed or some uh, irrigation areas would be destroyed by some bombing something like that and uh, civil affairs were tasked with um, taking an accounting of the destruction from locals. So going to that location and asking, was there any damage to your village during this time? Or being contacted by uh, village elders or Ashura and, uh, and requested to, uh, you know, recompense. And then they would, civil affairs would uh, draw up the paperwork. This would be submitted to... Uh, the Department of Defense through through the national um, you know from within Afghanistan uh, you know so up through the chain of command and uh, and the recompense would be uh, would be determined um, and approved and then civil affairs would send out someone with some cash to recompense the uh, the local village for uh, the destruction of households or you know the the destruction of a front gate uh, the destruction of a field uh, the burning of uh, the poppy fields um, the uh, the killing of uh, an animal or livestock uh, belonging to the household, and uh, or um, another thing that was done was uh, to report these incidents. Uh, Civil Affairs set up a um, a uh, computerized reporting center, so people would uh, come in from the village to the reporting center. And their reports would be taken at the reporting center. Well, the reporting center had a, you know, had a set of computers. All of that had to be, uh, all of that had to be set up to run in a country that doesn't really have a, you know, doesn't have a setup for, for a computer bank. So, 
all of that would be constructed by the United States government, uh, military, um, the military forces, U.S. military forces in Afghanistan, and then uh, civil affairs would provide the um, the staffing of that location and uh, people coming in to report damage to their livestock and property. Civil affairs would take an accounting of that, then a, a patrol would be sent out to verify it uh, with some civil affairs personnel and accompanying, you know, accompanying the patrol to uh, validate the claim, then that would be sent up through the chain of command. Then the funds approved to recompense for that would be returned back down, and then that would civil affairs would take that out. So this was done in Afghanistan. This just recently happened, of course, this was last year, ended last year, and uh, and this was done in Vietnam. So that's, uh, you know, Vietnam was 60s and it ended in 75. So that gives an idea of how important civil affairs is um, and how civil affairs helps keep the military in, in accordance with and in, in uh, congruence with um, U.S. law and international law. So that uh, the damage on a civilian population, particularly a civilian population that's not involved directly with the warring parties, uh, is minimized and then repaired when, when uh, the minimization doesn't uh, doesn't work as well as was hoped. So for civil emergencies, uh, this is also handled by civil affairs emergencies affecting public welfare. And, uh, and that would be as a, as a result of enemy attack or insurrection, civil disturbance, uh, earthquake, fire, flood, public disasters, or, or equivalent emergencies that endanger life and property or disrupt the usual process of government. So a civil emergency, um, you know, this is like uh, a hurricane comes through. Uh, this happened down in uh, Louisiana. It happens in Florida every so often. And for some period of time, you know, all of the local area is, um, you know, it's out of function. It's, it doesn't, the, there's no, there's no radio stations, there are no roads, there are no hospitals, and so on. So civil affairs is a, is a somewhat um, relevant to our um, emergency uh, FEMA emergency management agency. Uh, we have the same thing here for uh, national emergencies. And uh, there's always uh, a concern that these two, you know, um, to keep these two separate, one is a, a military function and one is a civilian function. So you have, a, you have FEMA, this is a civilian agency. It is not a military agency. And you have civil affairs, this is a this is a military agency. It, it works with the military, uh, and it, it's a military a military staffed agency inside the military uh, section, really inside the or department inside the military. So it's important to keep those two separate. Uh, the civil emergency, a civil emergency, of course, happens in foreign countries. If you're in uh, if you're in Vietnam, you still have uh, 
monsoons. This is uh, similar to a hurricane that comes through. Uh, if you're in um, parts of India, uh, hurricanes come through there. Uh, also in typhoons and monsoons. So these result in local damage and, uh, and the military, when it's occupying that area, it helps to reconstruct the local civilian population and civilian structures when those natural disasters uh, occur. So a civil affairs agreement, uh, this defines the relationship between a visiting force on one hand and the indigenous population and governmental authority uh, of the host country on the other hand, and it, it, uh, it includes the degree of control and the extent to which the support is to be rendered or derived uh, from one to the other. So um, there were quite a few of these in Star Trek, if you watched Star Trek. Uh, they would encounter a new uh, society on a new planet, and they would um, establish a, an agreement between the Federation and the, uh, the, new, um, the new arrival to the uh, larger map that the Federation recognized as being um, in existence and spacefaring. Uh, it's kind of the same thing here. Um, you know, when you have an agreement, you you enter the country and you make an agreement with the country uh, as to what would be provided and and uh, and what would not be provided. So in Afghanistan, there was a, there was a, a lot of interaction with the local shura. These are the local elders uh, who determined the. Um, you know, the, uh, the activities and, uh, laws of the remote, more remote villages in the area. Um, in Afghanistan, uh, you had three sections to Afghanistan. You had the, uh, the Southern section, uh, the Northern, North and Northeastern section. Uh, the Northern section that was most prevalent was around Kabul. And then you had the, the north east or the northwestern section. Uh, this is uh, um, borders with uh, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and so on, uh, where they do have um, some interaction with those nations. And uh, the northeastern section around Kabul, this had an interaction with Pakistan. Uh, there was a, the borders, uh, when, um, the U.S. went into Afghanistan were, were rather porous. So all along the, uh, border with Pakistan, between Afghanistan and Pakistan, um, there were a, a number of, uh, local tribes, uh, smaller clans and villages that um, they belong to Afghanistan, but they recognize themselves as being um, 
an individual na national government to themselves, uh, which put them in some contention with uh, the government of, of Afghanistan at the time. So this was something that civil affairs had to handle in Afghanistan. And it's similar in, uh, in, in Vietnam. This was the same in Vietnam. Uh, there was a Vietnamese government, the southern Vietnamese government, and then, of course, uh, the northern Vietnamese government was attempting to unify Vietnam into one Vietnam uh, under, under um, communism. And the border of Vietnam uh, on Cambodia and Laos, but mainly on Cam the Cambodian... Uh, border had a lot of um, porous border with uh, groups of people who recognized themselves tribally, not nationally. So it was the same thing in Vietnam. So this makes the civil affairs uh, mission difficult because it's not just uh, it's not a single modern recognized government uh, amongst the people in the country. There's a there's a variation of, of authority inside the country. Uh, Afghanistan, same thing. I mean, uh, Iraq, the same thing. Uh, Iraq is a, was a modernized country uh, under one government, but uh, it, it had fused uh, a number of warring factions and, uh, and tribal disputes into that one government. So when that government was, um, was dissolved... This broke that uh, broke that um, government structure apart, and the tribes and local the the local authorities in Iraq, uh, you know, went back to the local authorities. Uh, the local authority in each section went back to the local authority. So. All of the warring factions that had been fused into a single government under the modern Iraq went back to local warring factions. Uh, this is relevant now because of Syria. So all of this is, you know, civil affairs is not uh, a small thing, and it really makes a it makes a difference to understand how important it is in the function of the military in the in the region that the military has entered into and is occupying. Um, so a civil affairs agreement is, is made uh, between what's left of the local government or any standing government or any government that comes forward and identifies themselves as a, a government that was in resistance to a deposed government. Uh, this, this is oftentimes uh, the U.S. is supporting um, a government that is... Um, you know, that is seeking to establish a, a, um, a democracy in a, an area that's not a, a democracy at, at the current time. And uh, so that would be a government that the civil affairs agreement would be made with. And then the U.S. would help to uh, move that democratically identified an elected government into position uh, in an, an area that's been occupied. 
Uh, status of forces this is a term that's uh, used to describe uh, the legal the legal position uh, of a, a visiting military force that's deployed in the territory of a friendly state. Uh, the agreements that are that delineate the status of a visiting military forces they can be bilateral or they can be multilateral. So it'd be between uh, the U.S. and one other government, or it can be uh, between the U.S. and two or more other authorities. Uh, the provision of agreements uh, defining the status of visiting forces that can be grouped into separate agreements, uh, or they can form a part of a more complex civil affairs agreement. Uh, those provisions describe how the authorities of a, of a visiting force uh, can control members of the force and the amenability of the force or its members to the local law or to the authority or local officials in such matters as uh, civil and criminal jurisdiction, custom, imports, taxation, uh, vehicle registration, passport, driver's licenses, local procurements, etc. So... Um, you know when the when the government when the military goes in, uh, they have to uh, establish um, you know how those things are going to be maintained in the country once the once the government which the military has gotten in you know to confront has been routed in some way. Uh, so the status of forces agreement delineates uh, matters affecting the relationship between a military force and the civil authorities and the peoples in the in a friendly area. Uh, those agreements constitute a specific category of civil affairs agreement. Uh, the military government, that's a form of administration. Uh, by which an occupying power exercises executive, legislative, and uh, judicial authority over occupied territory. So uh, sometimes a military government comes up from within a country. It's, uh, the, it's from that country. Uh, this happens in Africa quite a bit. Uh, military junta. Um, and sometimes it comes in from outside. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a government uh, that's established from outside uh, based on the the military presence in the country, so um, it, that has to be taken into account when uh, legal agreements are being made. You know how legitimate is the government, and is it is uh, is the agreement being made with a military government that is a legitimate government, or is it being made with a government of the people? Uh, general war uh, is a conflict between international powers or coalitions of powers involving use of uh, the total war-making abilities with national survival on both sides at issue. And uh, a limited war, that's an armed conflict in which objectives of the combatants do not constitute a direct threat to survival of, a maging, of the major opposing power blocks. Uh, limitations invoked may be restrictive uh, on the means employed or upon the extent of the area of operations. Um, 
So a limited war is, uh, um, you know, uh, an internal power struggle. It usually starts as an internal power struggle that expands into a larger war set. Uh, a situation short of war. This is a state of international relationship designed to alter or maintain the balance of power between contending power blocks. And uh, it doesn't. It does not include uh, armed conflict, or the use of force or military operation. Uh, those are not precluded. Uh, so the, while the operation can be conducted to counter or deter use of force by another nation, or to encourage a weak or faltering government to maintain or restore order, or to protect U.S. personnel or property. Uh, like there's a Cold War. This is a state of conflict between nations or coalitions of uh, nations short of overt armed action and involving any or all means, including ideological, uh, political, economic, psychological, sociological, technological, and or military operations. So this gives an idea of uh, the types of, of war. It's only a f short listing of the types of war that uh, could be uh, relevant to um, a status of forces agreement. So, of course, uh, force is uh, any group in conflict, uh, forceful conflict, and status of forces is uh, what exactly is uh, what exactly is in conflict with whom, and and what is the balance of power and the um, the um, the authority, the establishment of authority and the structure of authority in any given conflict or locale of conflict. So this happens in Stargate quite a lot. Uh, in quite a few of the episodes in Stargate, there's, uh, you know, there's local conflict or uh, conf you know, conflict on the planet that they've that they've arrived at via this portal, and they are they are caught up in the conflict in some way that uh, they have to recognize these differences between what kind of conflict it is and what the what the forces are what forces are involved in it. So it's a uh, it serves an important function in in uh, delineating um, the uh, the extent of forces and conflict inside the area of operations. So the objective of a civil affairs mission uh, that includes the implementation of national policies. Uh, an, an objection or an objective of uh, of a civil affairs operation is to implement the aspects of uh, national policies of uh, a United States national policy as it pertains to a particular area uh, for which the military commander is responsible or support of the commander's military mission that uh, involves participation in coordinated activities with other U.S. 
allied or international military components or civil agencies. And uh, in Stargate and Star Trek both, uh, this, uh, this in uh, Stargate, this is a good example because this uh, is out of the United States. Um, so this, uh, this team, this civil affairs team that goes uh, on an intergalactic missions uh, through the portal, uh, they represent the United States, but they're going to, you know, they're going to uh, an intergalactic um, location that does not necessarily conform to any known um, political structure from as recognized by the United States or recognized here on Earth. So this gives this gives a lot of uh, storyline to the show because it puts the it puts the team into some um, contact conflict you know with their uh, their mission populace you know how do they recognize what the local populace is involved in and and how do they handle it um, so the objectives of a civil affairs mission also include a fulfillment of international obligations and to discharge the commander's the command responsibility pertaining to civil population, uh, government, and economy of the area. Uh, it's a policy to observe uh, all international obli legal obligations, uh, and then the support of military operations to assist in uh, the accomplishment of a military mission through the support or the control of local agencies in implementing measures that, uh, that one, maintain public order, uh, the two, would safeguard, mobilize, and utilize local resources like labor or supplies and facilities for tactical or logistical purposes, and uh, three, uh, would control disease, epidemic conditions uh, that might endanger military forces and civilian populations, and four, prevent civilian uh, interference with military operations. So this is really the basis of um, of civil affairs. They spend a lot of time doing this, maintaining public order. You know, the worst thing is is a a war that completely removes public order, because this results in you know unnecessary death and destruction. And uh, the world wars had a lot of examples of this, um, and. Uh, when um, uh, when Russia was fighting um, the Allied Germany front, the Nazi front, uh, they at one point um, retreated back into Russian territory and they burned all of the area between their front lines with uh, German forces and uh, and the city that they retreated back to which was which was behind uh, Russian lines uh, and they salted the earth to completely laid waste to everything in between and so this is a complete removal of of public order so all populations 
are in evacuation back or out. Uh, all populations, homes and farms, all economic status in those areas is completely demolished. All wells and water sources are contaminated. All food sources are gone. It's complete destruction of the entire public order. So then all of that has to be rebuilt once uh, once the conflict ends. All of that has to be re reconstructed at, uh, at cost. And of course it results in many more deaths than just military deaths. So that would be the, the death of all the livestock, uh, the death of, of, uh, of non-participant civilians, uh, and so on. Um, safeguarding, mobilizing, and utilizing uh, local resources. Uh, you know, this is to maintain a local economy as much as possible. Uh, the controlled disease and epidemic conditions, you know, obviously you want to you collect up and um, remove dead bodies, uh, waste uh, that's been released out of containment and, and other, other things that contribute to um, epidemics. Because these result in, you know, uh, uh, massive disease spreading across the local population and contaminating also the military population. So you want to keep typhoid and plague and so on. You want to reduce the possibility of these starting up. Um, this all this is all relevant to civil affairs mission. Uh, the less of uh, of public order and uh, and the um, the civil infrastructure that is destroyed, uh, the the more likely it is that uh, those that that disease run amok is uh, is to be prevented. Uh, you know, if hospitals are working, if roads are working, if emergency if emergency services are working. Uh, if telephones are working, if uh, computers and and um, emergency broadcasts are working, if radio towers are working, see if all of these things are working, then the likelihood of of uh, epidemic disease and uh, unnecessary death and destruction is minimized. And then uh, you want to prevent civilian interference with military operation. Uh, and this is one of the more difficult parts of civil affairs. And this is oftentimes where it, uh, it, has pro it, it runs into problems uh, adhering to law. Because if uh, the civilian population isn't always uh, easy to read in that, um, you know, in that area of activity. All right, I had to sort through some notes here. Um, 
So emergency civil assistance, this is, uh, this is the final section for objectives. Uh, when directed or requested by appropriate authority, civil affairs operations uh, assists in civil emergency situations resulting from natural disaster, unrest, or enemy attack. So uh, I got cut off a bit there at the end of the last one. So I went on for a ways before I realized, and uh, I got to go back and repeat it. Uh, so I ended with um, uh, emergency civil assistance. Uh, this is when civil affairs, uh, when directed or requested by the appropriate authority, um, civil affairs operations, they uh, assist uh, the civil emergency situations resulting from natural disaster or unrest or enemy attack. So that just basically is uh, civil affairs. Um, they account for uh, destruction and um, <clears throat> dislocation caused by military effect and also uh, those caused by uh, natural disasters or um, unrest not relevant to, not directly relevant to military action uh, or enemy attack uh, from a third party that's not uh, not caused by the um, the military to which the civilian affairs is subordinate. So they account for emergency assistance also in a, uh, a foreign population. Uh, the general principles uh, for civilian affairs operation in the absence of a, a specific directives, uh, the uh, there's a continuity of planning, or a continuity of policy and planning also. Uh, continuity and consistency in policy, uh, those are essential to the success of a civil affairs operation. Uh, it's fundamental that comprehensive policy be developed at government or top command levels and transmitted through normal command channels. Uh, civil affairs relations are influenced uh, by diplomatic relations between the United States and the government of the area that's, uh, in ex that will usually be in existence there already or will soon be in existence uh, once it's uh, facilitated. So since the Department of State is a U.S. government agency held responsible for foreign policy, um, the, uh, the U.S. ambassador or the diplomatic representative uh, require coordination, close coordination, and, a, and definite delineation of responsibility and function uh, with the U.S. military and its commander. <clears throat> so normally that's accomplished by uh, means of an executive order, and that issues from the President of the United States if, uh, if this is a U.S. operation. Uh, if it's not, you know, you want to account for where that, uh, where that initial order comes from. Uh, so the command responsibility is the military nature of the civilian operation that requires uh, responsibility and authority for establishment and conduct of activities uh, vested in a senior commander. So this is one of the problems in a, in a war zone is uh, you have independent units. Um, oftentimes they are far located from each other or dislocated from their, from their um, unit chain of command. And, you know, what they do when they're out 
uh, this should adhere to doctrine and law, and uh, sometimes it doesn't. So, um, you know, there's got to be a command responsibility for There's got to be authority over those units uh, in, the, in the larger... Um, the larger strategy and tactics that are um, <laughs> that are active in a war zone. Uh, so the a commander is guided by directives from uh, from a higher authority, uh, national policies, applicable agreements, international law, and uh, they delegate their authority to the degree that uh, the subordinate commander requires that authority for accomplishment of the mission. So that means that uh, if you are a patrol and your highest commanding officer is a lieutenant, that lieutenant has is a, is a direct, his direct chain of command is his uh, chain of command back at base, but it's also directly to the commander in that locale, the commander of his forces. Uh, of that of that lieutenant's forces, uh, you know he abides by and maintains the law according to the commander's executive um, function from the president. So in this way, uh, you don't have units going rogue. So civil affairs facilitates that they. Um, they check on and make sure that that is happening by interacting with the local populace and, um, you know, taking reports from the populace and interviewing the populace uh, on military uh, operations and how they're going, how the how the local populace perceives those operations, and uh, and then they return that back into the chain of command and the chain of command uh, you know issues their orders and um, determines their military actions based on somewhat on what the populace perceives perceives of uh, already um, completed operations. So if uh, if they uh, the civilian population is saying uh, you know well you cleared out you cleared out this group of people that was a problem for us that's true but you know you destroyed all of this stuff that uh, all of these these fields and items that uh, that the village relies on uh, to keep going so basically you've you know you've destroyed the village the village doesn't function. So the next, on the next operation, you know, the command tries to take that into account. This is the intention of civil affairs is to, is to help keep the rolling thunder of uh, military um, operation, operation after operation, tactic after tactics, you know, in, in compliance with national, U.S., federal, and national military, and international law. Um, so uh, they're go 
The command responsibility derives from the president, uh, who issues an executive order on it, and um, it's guided by directives from higher authority. So higher authority is a, is a chain of command up through the country that uh, the military force is in, and to the top commander there, and then it goes back to the, in this case, back to the United States, and up through the top command structure, uh, chain of command here in the United States. So that would go up back through uh, through the uh, chiefs of staff and uh, and generals, and then up to the president. So the president uh, serves in this country, which is a nation under God. So then that also is a higher authority that uh, that most military units adhere to is uh, the higher authority of, we'll just say, the basic Ten Commandments. So these are recognized here in the United States as being the basic, the basic functions of, of uh, you know, adherence to uh, the law of uh, of decency. So the mission uh, of a civil affairs operation that has to support uh, the political military mission and the economy of force. Uh, that's a political military mission. Uh, that has to be accomplished effectively with minimal personnel. So whenever possible, civil affairs operations are conducted through and with existing or or reestablished civilian authorities utilizing uh, a minimum number of military personnel required for advisor supervision. So, you know, whenever possible, uh, the military uses a civilian function that's already in place. So if there's a, a military police force, they use a military police force. I mean, uh, the, if there's a, an existing civilian police force, they use a civilian police force, and then it's augmented by, somewhat by, uh, the military operations. So the military police force somewhat augments that, uh, that function. They advise the civilian police force regarding uh, how to handle things between uh, the military and the civilian side. Mostly the military, or the, mostly the civilian police would handle the Civilian side and most of the military police of the occupying military force would handle the military side, but in some cases there's some overlap of that. And uh, a good example is um, like the slaughter of livestock. Uh, this is taken as a, an affront to a family in some in some countries, and uh, they could take it to the police. It's considered to be a, a breach of law, and the police would normally handle this. The civilian police would normally handle this. So. In this case, the uh, the the slaughter of the livestock was done by um, by the military. So this goes to the civilian police from from the from the civilians. The civilians go to the civilian police there in country, and then the civilian police uh, liaison with the military police and CID, and then the military police and CID uh, by means of uh, civil affairs. Um, they broker an agreement between uh, the military for the destruction of these livestock that would normally be a, this would be a legal, a legal complaint. So it's a legal complaint being made to the U.S. military by means of the civilian police, through the military police, through CID, through civil affairs, and into the military chain of command of the occupying military force. That would be 
U.S. military force. So that's an example of economy of force, <clears throat> not not replacing uh, existing force and not overriding ex- existing force, interacting with and um, and liaisoning with uh, the local forces, whatever those are, the local forces of uh, authority, and uh, working with them and and facilitating back and forth between uh, military function and civilian function. Uh, this sounds very tidy. It's not. And uh, there's a lot of room for for trouble uh, and misinterpretation and uh, misapplication and uh, waste and abuse, fraud, waste, and abuse. There's tons of opportunity for it. But that's the... Uh, that's the intention anyway. Continuity of plans and operation would be the effectiveness of operations depending upon uh, plans that contain appropriate guidance and direction to assure accomplishment of the civil affairs mission. Uh, execution adapted to the requirement of the situation and the capabilities of the organization. And coordination of the civil affairs and other operations uh, of each command. So continuity of plans and operations... Uh, this just uh, this keeps things moving um, between you know commanders don't always stay in country we don't you know if a, if if a, if an occupation lasts for fifteen years you know there's not the same commander through throughout that entire fifteen years uh, all the personnel change sometimes they change every six months sometimes they change once a year sometimes they change every two years so every time personnel change. Uh, you know, there's a swap over of personnel. The continuity has to be maintained, and it's part of civil affairs' job to maintain the continuity between one set of uh, chain of command and another set of chain of command, uh, an incoming and an outgoing, or an outgoing and an incoming, as well as with uh, chain of command between uh, local forces and, and uh, authorities and military forces and authorities. Um, so an integration and combined operations, uh, would sometimes is uh, sometimes necessary, uh, in combined operations, an integration of effort can be achieved by exercising civil affairs control through a combined command and, uh, military authority, uh, military authority is the scope of military authority, uh, with the locale, uh, it varies with the locale and the situation and and for convenience uh, can be broken down into three general categories, I guess. Um, occupied territory, uh, combat zone, and other area. So in occupied territory, the commander of an occupied force has uh, the right by international law to demand and enforce from the inhabitants of an occupied area as may be necessary for the accomplishment of mission and the proper administration of the area. So he, the commander, uh, adheres to international law and also military and federal law. And so his commands uh, in this direction are intended to support the local um, structure, not to destroy the local structure. And... So that is that results in a uh, requirement of um, 
of cooperation from local forces, which does not always, that's not always what happens, obviously. <clears throat> it didn't happen in Vietnam. And, uh, and, and to some degree, it doesn't happen in, in most wars. You know, the local populace doesn't always have, doesn't always have the capability to be uh, cooperating or cooperative with any forces in the area. It just doesn't, you know, their concern is to survive the war. It's not necessary to cooperate. That doesn't always work with their survival circumstances. Uh, combat zone is, uh, the, that's where law of war places limitation on the exercise of a, uh, a, a belligerent's power in the entrance, in the interests of protecting combatants and non-combatants from unnecessary suffering, and then also safeguarding certain fundamental human rights. And, uh, the chain of command is required to refrain from employing any kind of violence that's not necessary for specific military purpose and to give due regard to the principles of humanity and chivalry. Uh, the other areas would, uh, these would be international agreements, regulations, and national policy as, uh, as promulgated or interpreted by, by higher authority uh, or those that dictate the scope of authority in all other areas. A military limitation, uh, civilian inhabitants have a right to the freedom from unnecessary interference with their individual uh, liberties and their property rights. Uh, U.S. forces are individually and collectively responsible for compliance with those, the requirements of, of law and regulation that, uh, that affect their relations uh, with civil authorities and populations. So, you know, theft, rape murder, uh, tra human trafficking, uh, weapons trafficking, uh, that kind of thing is not to be done. Uh, and those are the limit, those are the limitations on the military force in a civilian populace over which they have authority. So a patrol has authority over a civilian population to a certain extent if they're if they're raiding a cache and they they decide to traffic those weapons or resell those weapons back to you know they go rogue they're they're selling weapons back into the populace this is uh you know this this breaches the the uh, the interest of the local population and also uh, the chain of command, obviously, the military interest in the area. So they are required to um, you know respect the liberties and property rights of those people who are there, the the, the, the local population. So selling, weapons back into the population uh, this this uh, this undermines the structure of the the local population uh, and their 
dispersal of arms on a normal basis. So a cache of weapons, you know, should not be trafficked back into the local population or trafficked across nearby, nearby uh, um, national borders. This has been done where a, a cache is sold across a national border to a, a neighboring uh, force. And this causes, uh, this undermines the command, chain of command and, and operations in the military operations in the, the country that's occupied. So... Uh, the military are required to uh, adhere to the limitations uh, set upon them regarding uh, the rights and responsibilities of the local population. And then humanity, the, the basic principles of, of uh, humanity, uh, this prohibits the use of violence and uh, it's necessary for the, the purpose of war. A war is not an excuse for, for ignoring or uh, disregarding the established humanitarian principles. And since those principles have not become legal rules, a military commander has to consider a proposed course of action that would be humane and it's, it's, it's not specifically prohibited. So, um, you know, a commander can go all the way down to a specialist in charge of a couple people in a leftover group uh on that was on patrol um you know this goes all the way down to the lowest common denominator in a, a military force is to maintain um you know human rights and basic humanity uh civil affairs works pretty hard with that they do a lot of training uh local training on it and military training on it And then to the benefit of, uh, of the governed, there's a, the governed are subject to requirements of the situation and the government should be for the benefit of the governed. So civil affairs organizations assist the commander in carrying out obligations imposed by treaty or international law respecting the government and inhabitants of territory in which U.S. forces or armed forces are deployed. Uh, then there's an, for determination of pattern, uh, there's environmental factors, uh, pattern and objectives of civil affairs operations in any place or with reference to any sphere of activity depend primarily on uh, policies articulating national interest as conceived by duly constituted policymaking agencies of governments uh, in light of legal or political or economic or social uh, and military factors affecting the security and welfare of the nation. Uh, factors influencing policy formulation are not static, and uh, they reflect um, they reflect divergent variables like uh, domestic, industrial, and agricultural resources, military requirements, and the participation of allies and defensive alliances, uh, the nature of enemy operations and intentions, and other related factors. And in the formation and implementation of policy, um, it's essential that primary consideration be given to national objectives. 
So a first task may be the destruction of enemy forces, uh, but then the subsequent responsibility um, for building peace can be of greater importance and uh, and holds a certain amount of uh, importance in the uh, the strategic and and tactical operation. Uh, a military um, a military operation can be operational under any condition extending from peace through to general war and within that spectrum uh, civil affairs operations can be required under a wide variety of conditions that include uh, development, developmental factors like control or assistance measures per pertinent to the exercise of functions or governmental functions in a, in a highly developed area uh, with complex political, economic, and social systems um, or like measures in an underdeveloped area. Uh, it's... Uh, it requires, <clears throat> those conditions require duration, uh, protracted assistance or controlled measures and control measures extending over several years or decades, uh, pending resolution of major political, economic, or, or military problems that have arisen. Uh, it can, it's relevant to operations lasting a short time prompted by transitory emergency situation. Uh, it's relevant to location. Uh, the control or assistance measures undertaken in foreign territory, foreign territory as uh, as differentiated from uh, measures instituted in domestic territory, and a popular response operations involving a vehemently hostile population to measures, receiving the enthusiastic support of a loyal and cooperative population. Uh, military factors, uh, operation in a society, or Societies uh, that have suffered total devastation and disruption uh, to measures taken in one that has been undamaged by warfare and associated effects. Uh, the unlimited use of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons to the employment of conventional weapons only. The use of army groups of field armies in a general war to the use of small task forces in situational or in situations short of war. And uh, legal basic Uh, that would be the control or assistance measures authorized or required by uh, express provision of positive law, for example, the Constitution, uh, an act of Congress, international agreement, judicial decision, executive order or department regulation having the force of law to like measures undertaken under that uh, unwritten principle of necessity known as martial law or equivalent legal principles made relevant because of the necessities of the case. So you know, adhering adhering to local law as well as adhering to the larger law that's incoming with the uh, with the um the occupying force and uh and maintaining uh local uh, expectations of of law abiding. So if uh, if men and women are sequestered, mostly sequestering men and women in a you know if you're putting up tents 
for um, for evacuation uh, evacuees to reside in. You want to have separate tents to represent the local legality. Uh, implementation of policy. Uh, environmental factors require unprecedented flexibility and and capabilities in civil affairs organizations uh, to insist to assist um, to assist the operation. So implementation requires a broad area and contingency planning and training in the entire range of civil affairs uh, function operations or functional operations. Uh, the con- the conduct of civil affairs activities like uh, civic action and support of contingency operations. Action to maintain public order or to provide for the welfare of the population when requested by appropriate civil authority or by direction uh, of of a chain of command in civil in civil emergency uh, resulting from attack, disaster, epidemic, disorder, or conditions threatening a successful functioning of duly constituted authority, and then the exercise of minimal authority of uh, a minimal degree of authority. Uh, granted by treaty or other agreement, expressed or implied, that may involve only a liaison relationship between the military and chain of command, military chain of command, and the civilian population, uh, the government and institutions of an area, and then full or partial executive, legislative, and judicial authority over a country or area. And uh, this happens quite a bit in... Uh, this happens quite a bit in... Um, in uh, fictional accounts also. So uh, an example would be in uh, Star Wars where uh, one of the Star Wars, epi- Star Wars episodes, there's a, um, <clears throat> they, uh, they have a senatorial um, debate over how to proceed in their uh, resistance against the Empire. So this involves all the senators from all of the worlds that were involved in the um, the original uh, government that has been um, put out of put out of order or uh, obliterated in some cases by by the. Uh, Um, the stormtroopers that would be the occupying forces and uh, the senators are in a debate about how to handle how to proceed with their um, government structures in relationship to their um, continued resistance against the empire so that's an example of um, an established government that's uh, it's losing its stability, um, liaisoning with the uh, resistance forces against the empire, and the two uh, coordinating their legal functions uh, in regard to their continued um, military confrontation with the empire so you can see it in 
you know, in, uh, in fictional work also. Um, so martial law is, uh, that's a law which precedes a military junta. Uh, you know, uh, most democratic nations, uh, they try not to proceed into a military junta, obviously. They try to, they try to maintain public order and then reestablish public order and then, uh, and then reduce martial law and then, and then remove the martial law should be a, um, a stabilizing, uh, intermediary, intermediate or intermediary legal function that, that does not topple what's left of the local, um, structure. It should, it should support that and then slowly be, uh, removed off of it as the, uh, as the local, uh, authority re reestablishes in perhaps a more reasonable format. It reformats itself. Um, so the, uh, a continuing factor, uh, for civil affairs, a uh, range of interest, uh, begins with the chain of command at the same instant a member of a chain of command has contact with representatives of the civilian community, uh, regardless of whether the contact is in continental United States or an overseas area, and whether the United States is in a legal, is in a, a state of war or um, a state of peace or in any of the in-between conditions categorized generally under the heading of uh, Cold War. So an example of this, this is a, this is a civilian example of this. Uh, the Navy was going to build a, uh, a naval, um, a naval structure, uh, on a shoreline and they were looking for, uh, a civilian, um, contracting individual to liaison with the local populace, the U.S. populace, to determine what uh, impact a, a naval um, base and structure would have on the local populace, what the local populace thought of that, and, and how the local populace uh, supported or uh, disagreed with the implementation of the, that policy of building uh, a naval base. Um, it's used in Japan. Japan has the same thing. Uh, there's a naval base there. There is a conflict somewhat between uh, Japan and the United States on this naval base. Uh, the naval base, of course, is staffed by Americans, and the Americans are, you know, when they're on shore leave, uh, they leave the base and they go out into the local populace. And when they go out into the local populace, they 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 put U.S. dollars into the local populace. They purchase things, but they also 
they purchase things sometimes that cause trouble in the local populace. So it has a it has a forward-rolling effect of assisting the local economy with U.S. dollars, and it has a back-rolling effect or a, a back-swing effect of, um, you know, encroaching on the local populace by, you know, drunken, disorderly uh, brawls, uh, rapes, murders, uh, you know, the use of drugs to... Uh, rape drugs or or drugs to um, sell amongst other service members or to try to disperse amongst the population. So civil affairs, they breach that liaison point. Those are two those are two forces. You have the the Japan civil force and you have the the US uh, naval base or the U.S. armed forces, so at the naval base, um, you know, the naval base has to coexist with uh, what's a very conservative Japanese society, and civil affairs uh, coordinates that and liaisons with the local populace to um, determine what the problems are and to help iron them out with the chain of command. So that the, the local populace, you know, they try to call the chain the chain of command, and what they get is a, they get a somebody on base that doesn't talk to civilians. I mean, they get somebody on the naval base that, you know, they're not going to respond to a civilian, or they get a recorded message. They leave a message. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, they have some they have some recourse to uh, JAG, but not much, because because JAG is mostly for military, and then they have some recourse to civil to the military police because the military police are somewhat on patrol, but, you know, the military police are mainly for the military. So they have a, there's a civil affairs accountability that liaisons between two civilian, you know, a civilian populace that's uh, allied with the United States and the naval base that's, uh, that is a less conservative or a more um, chaotic uh, group of people than the Japanese society normally, um, you know, normally recognizes or normally tolerates. Uh, so the range of interest is, uh, that would be two peacetime examples of civil affairs at work. Uh, organizations, uh, and emphasis for a range of interest can vary. Uh, the same general principles are, are applicable uh, regardless of the situation, though. Uh, the military-civil relationships, those are, those are a continuing factor of consideration in military operations. Uh, they vary from a, a minimum of securing the least amount of civilian interference to obtaining a maximum of all-out civilian support uh, for the military operation. But the degree, the, de the degree of mutual cordiality and understanding and support involved has a direct bearing on the success or the failure of the operation. Uh, diverse relationships um, are often to be found. Uh, civil affairs relationships are varied and complex with uh, the local populace. So no attempt should be made to summarize uh, relationships um, the situation and criteria govern 
general military civil relationships and the variation is uh, in emphasis and degree. So when you're writing, uh, when you're writing or developing some kind of a, a fictional account that may or may not be re based on a, a real account, an actual non-fictional account, you know, you can take into consideration the, uh, the degree of complexity and, and uh, interaction and interoperability of uh, civil affairs with uh, the civilian population and civil affairs with the chain of command and, and uh, the military force population. Um, some of the military civil status possibilities are occupation of an enemy homeland, so this is this is all this is often shown in fiction. Uh, occupation of liberated territory with or without a civil affairs agreement, again often shown. Assignment in another country during peace or war on the basis of a status of forces, military assistance or similar agreement. Uh, disaster relief or uh, invitational intervention on behalf of a foreign country, usually on the strength of a prior agreement. Uh, this uh, this is going on right now. Um, show of force, uh, peacetime activities in the U.S. and and uh, and U.S. protectorates and and uh, possessions, uh, wartime activities in the U.S. and U.S. protectorates and possessions, and and then assistance in civil defense, emergency or disaster. Uh, all of those have been shown in fiction, uh, mili military fiction and uh, and some environmental fiction. Uh, command responsibility or chain of command responsibility cannot be overemphasized uh, with the conduct of civil affairs. So uh, military civil relations is, uh, is the basic function of civil affairs and in as much as the responsibility of chain of command uh, has for planning and conduct of combat operations, they they also have to have uh, the same concern for the planning and conduct of, of civilian uh, liaison operations. So peacetime civil affairs, uh, when regulations, laws, and agreements are, are generally more restrictive and they impose problems of coordination, liaison, and negotiations, negotiation of greater difficulty and delicacy uh, than more clearly defined wartime relationships. Um, are of concern to a chain of command. So it's difficult to, you know, when you're in the chain of command, you don't have a lot of direct contact with the local population. Mostly the, the local population is contacted by uh, enlisted personnel out at the edges of the command structure. So this is one of the things that uh, can be used for... Um, the construction of a fictional or the expose of a non-fictional um, presentation, a movie or literature. Uh, the term civil affairs is misunderstood. Uh, its common usage has three distinct meanings. Civil affairs concept, uh, the civil affairs operations, and civil affairs organizations. So civil affairs concept, uh, this embraces all of military civil relationships, whatever locale, status of peace or war, or where the relationships are involved or, or are official or personal. And then civil affairs operations, 
Uh, these are activities of a military unit that are pointed toward the support or the military unit that's pointed towards support for or the exercise of influence or control over civilian and uh, civilian organizations, over the civilian populace and civilian organizations uh, outside of the military establishment, regardless of the participating section or unit. And there's uh, there's additional scope of civil, uh, civil affairs operations, but in general, um, the main words would be liaison or advice or advisor, negotiation, cooperation, supervision, assistance, and control, and those essentially summarize civil affairs operations. So this is where the uh, counterintelligence often gets involved. Um, they counterintelligence uh, are interested in uh, contact with the local populace, and they work um, they work mostly in advisory and cooperation, supervision, assistance, training, and, uh, and then some control elements. Um, counterintelligence, there's, ha, there's a, a specific department of, or, you know, a, a unit of counterintelligence in the military. And they frequently, um, they conduct their activities in cooperation with or oftentimes hand-in-hand hand with uh, civil affairs. Uh, civil affairs is a separate um, you know, area of uh, department of military operation. Uh, there are two separate occupations in the military, like uh, the military police is one set that has um, that's a particular occupation in the military that also has a lot it works a lot with civil affairs and uh, counterintelligence there it's a specific occupation they they work with civil affairs civil affairs is itself its own occupation so just being a member of uh, civil affairs does not necessarily mean you're the, the person the uh, the military person is a uh, is counterintelligence, but counterintelligence often works out of civil affairs. Uh, in Vietnam was one of the first times that uh, they really worked very, very closely with and could even be said to mostly dominate the civil affairs in Vietnam. And uh, that was due to the type of um, conflict that it was. Uh, which was um, a disruptive conflict, and uh, and counterintelligence was heavily involved with um, trying to uh, discern, trying to note where the pockets of. Um, counter-resistance were. So, um, you can see this in, uh, in fiction, in MASH. Uh, MASH was, uh, the original MASH was written on the, uh, on the Vietnam War, but, uh, the televised version of MASH is set in Korea, and, uh, they have a, 
they have a counterintelligence guy who shows up at the MASH unit every so often. On uh, he's he's looking into someone that he or some area that he has an interest in, and uh, that would be a pretty accurate representation in many respects without the hilarity of uh, of the actions of um, counterintelligence in civil affairs. Um, so the, uh, the civil affairs organization, that's the staff and unit particularly designed and trained to supervise and conduct civil affairs operations. This can, in, this can include a civil affairs occupation, uh, specialist, uh, military police occupation specialist, and a, and a counterintelligence occupation specialist specialist. So you, you would have those three working together in some, uh, mission. Um, inside the national borders of the occupied country. Um, it supports army forces in, or, or military forces in the conduct of tactical military operations. And uh, it insists, it assists in fulfilling military legal obligations, legal, legal obligations with respect to international law and, uh, the inhabitants, government, and economy of the area. And uh, it brings international law, local law, and military law into sort of a Venn diagram where you have an intersection point between those three. Um, and it serves, uh, the uh, Civil Affairs Organization serves as a military agency uh, with primary concern for um, the attainment of of an ultimate national objective and provides for future transfer of, of certain civil affairs activities to a designated agency or government. Uh, other staff sections and units uh, with civilian counterparts and representatives of civilian community also engage in military civil relationships. And this doesn't mean that normal liaison and contractual function of the technical administrative services uh, have to necessarily be civil affairs operations. Sometimes uh, there's some degree of civil affairs general staff interest uh, that's always present, and uh, in overseas areas it may be paramount. Um, so sometimes it's all military civil affairs, uh, and sometimes it's a civilian side with uh, military civil affairs, uh, adding some advisors to the outside edge of what's basically a, a civilian operation. Uh, re the military activities in civil affairs, uh, from a conceptual standpoint, uh, civil affairs is, a uh, is the inclusive total of all military civil relationships and uh, no attempt uh, to enumerate every conceivable operational aspect of uh, the relationship is really possible. Uh, there's all kinds of different combinations. Uh, as a guide for planning and, and training, um, 
The following activities are, are typically representative of, of civil affairs, and, and const they constitute the processes through which the functions are performed. So liaison is one of the main ones. Uh, that's uh, staff sections and units within command to which uh, assigned or attached personnel operate. Uh, other army units or other military units in the in the zone of uh, civil affairs responsibility with the command or the chain of command to which the assigned or attached personnel are are responsible uh, with military units in contiguous zones of responsibility or with uh, civilian um, activities or operations. Uh, in contiguous areas of responsibility, and then with civil affairs representatives of other services or allied military units. Uh, also with other U.S. allied and international governmental agencies in the same area, and with representatives in the apparatus of civilian government. So those are all area. Those are all liaison that might happen. So. Uh, the chain of command has liaison with uh, the local city government. That would be an example of number one, a staff section and units. Uh, two would be military units in the zone of uh, civil affairs responsibility. So um, that would be uh, the chain of command uh, the in country. So all of the chain of command with the uh, socioeconomic um uh, public. Uh, with army units and contiguous zones of responsibility. So uh, with um, a company um, that's got a post um, in a fairly uh, isolated area and they're, they've just moved into that area and they're setting up the post, uh, civil affairs would, would interact with the would liaison with the local populace or would assist liaison with the local populace, they would send out a, a civil affairs representative. Uh, and then with uh, civil affairs representatives or services of allied military units, so civil affairs, uh, you know, facilitates interoperability between three militaries that are providing a peacekeeping force, and they all have contributed uh, a third of the peacekeeping force to Bosnia Kosovo, Bosnia Kosovo uh, operations, peacekeeping operations, uh, civil affairs is liaison in that. Uh, then with U.S. or or the 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 force, the original force, allied international government agencies. So in Germany, uh, civil affairs um, it facil facilitates interaction between the German government and German uh, civil function with um, the uh, posts, the U.S. Army posts and, and Air Force posts there in Germany, uh, with representatives in the apparatus of the civilian government. So in Afghanistan, uh, several presidential elections went through and uh, and civil affairs um, was the liaison point for interaction between the local candidates 
uh, and the local populaces as they set up their their uh, elections um, facilities, and with uh, the U.S. command, which was was maintaining the security and uh, and the um, the uh, possibility of the elections taking place uh, without interruption or uh, contamination. So another another um, activity civil affairs uh, provides is negotiation uh, with appropriate agencies of civilian government over matters of policing, authority, uh, legal jurisdiction, licensing, taxation, uh, public facilities use, registration, applicability of laws and regulations, customs, religious practices, restrictions, and other similar uh, phases of personal and official relationships. Um, so, uh, you know, if there is a... Um, there's a lot of examples of this. Uh, if um, there's damage done to a family, uh, the a civil affairs um, representative is sent in to broker uh, a, a negotiation of repayment or reparations for the damages done to that family by U.S. forces. Uh, you know, um, a murder or a rape or some some damage that was done. Uh, with private civilian individuals and organizations concerning purchases, claims, contracts, rentals, uh, memberships, personal relationships between individuals and other related matters. So uh, everybody's got to have an ID card. Everybody in the area has to have an ID card. This, this is a new command statement. Nobody can be in the area without some, some form of ID. So civil affairs is mobilized to uh, assist the local population, which has absolutely no way of getting uh, an identification card at this point, with getting a military, occupying military approved uh, identity card. Uh, with allied and international military and civilian agencies over joint or parallel functions. So there's uh, there's three, three uh, the United Nations has, uh, um, is, uh, assisting with elections in uh, an occupied territory and the military has their civil affairs unit liaisoning between the United Nations and the uh, elections, the setup of the uh, fair and legal elections, and also with the local populace and uh, maintaining security for the attendance to the elections and the candidates and so on. And then also with the military staying out of the elections, not uh, not causing um, obstacles for the populace to make it to the elections and so on. So I'm down to about a minute left on this, so I'm going to pick it up on another segment. And that concludes the segment. Uh, continuing on with uh, military, what civ the civilian of civil affairs activities are, the first is liaison. Uh, 
and a negotiation. Those two were covered in the previous episode. Uh, participation, so that's on joint military, civil uh, councils and committees. Uh, in community relations and civic action type activities. And uh, in uniservice or joint and combined exercises and training programs insofar as uh, civil affairs instruction and, and emphasis are, are concerned. Um, so an example of uh, councils and committees would be um, military tribunals, uh, uh, civilian committees for um, work with evacuees, uh, work with refugees, uh, work with mothers and children, um, uh, um, inoculation or uh, other medical efforts uh, into the community. Uh, also, um, for participation in uh, community relations. Um, this would be like uh, um, programs to uh, help uh, women get involved in the workforce, uh, programs to help unemployed uh, men um, get loans to reestablish their employment, that sort of thing. Uh, and civic action type activities, um, playing soccer with, uh, with the children in the area, uh, youth activities meant to um, help redirect youth interest out of joining um, military organizations or local police forces and into uh, education and um, athletics and and uh, social interaction um, and then finally uh, uniservice uh, joint and combined exercises and training so this would be um, like uh, advisors field advisors uh, training um, local forces for resistance to a larger invading force. Uh, we have a couple examples of these, one in Ukraine, one in Afghanistan, uh, in Vietnam, all three of these used this. Uh, it's training uh, in military um, action and in use of weapons and basic tactics and techniques. So another, the next, um, the next section of activity civil affairs is responsible for is participation, uh, joint military, or I'm sorry, uh, coordination, uh, coordination with uh, general and special staff officers and commanders of subordinate units. Uh, that would be coordination with functional civil affairs specialists and uh, civilian counterparts and staff sections with related interests. 
uh, coordination between military, all military and, uh, and civil agencies in the areas of mutual concern and representation of other government, allied, and international agencies, and between those agencies and military command of assigned or attached units or personnel. So it's pretty extensive effort at coordinating uh, to keep the military um, where, where local... Um, civil structure is still intact, uh, keeping the military um, in that area, that local regional, regional area, and still um, allowing the, uh, the local civil authorities to continue uh, maintaining the civil social structure in the area and then liaisoning or uh, coordinating with those local civil authorities and with uh, the units interspersed amongst them uh, to facilitate military operation and activity. Uh, civil affairs also provides support for military forces from civilian labor and material resources and for civilians from military personnel, equipment, facilities, and supplies. So if, uh, if local resources uh, don't have any, their, their food resources have been taken out, they, the stores are, there are no stores, there's no, there are no foods or supplies, uh, civil affairs um, helps disperse uh, basic food and supplies to them, uh, medical supplies, food supplies, um, basic survival supplies. And, uh, and when possible, civilian affairs uh, brokers agreements with uh, civilian labor and material resources. So when, uh, <clears throat> during the Iraq war, when the United States was in uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, uh, it doesn't really want uh, foreign foreign forces on its soil, so it uh, it required uh, the actions of civil affairs to broker agreements with with locals as much as possible to provide food and water and uh, other um, resources to camps, rather than just having isolated camps with uh, military only personnel on them. Um, and that was part of an agreement that, uh, that Saudi Arabia, that encouraged Saudi Arabia to, um, acquiesce to having foreign, foreign forces on their soil. Uh, it allowed them to, uh, provide, um, employment to U.S. uh, forces and, uh, maintained um, employment stability in the areas that the forces were moving into. Uh, advice, so that's, you know, that's support. That falls under the heading, heading of support. Uh, advice, uh, the providing advice to 
uh, chain of command on relationships with civil authorities and the population, uh, the effects of operation or activities or the, the contemplated operations or the activities on civilian welfare and morale, and uh, the effects of civilian laws or regulation, uh, administrative processes, uh, habitats, activities, needs, and capabilities on the uh, the commander's operations and missions and subordinate personnel as uh, as individuals and individual units. Uh, maintain relationship with uh, the chain of command uh, into the U.S. or into the uh, the external uh, national structure and uh, allied agencies and civilian government and governmental capacity. And uh, procedures for handling non-U.S. labor and then treatment of civilians under jurisdiction or control and as visitors or violators of regulatory documents or refugees, displaced persons, and evacuees. And then all other matters that concern uh, affairs of uh, chain of command in respect to civilian relationships. So just like in, just like here in the United, you know, here in this country, um, the military doesn't really interact with the, the civilian side that much. If you're civilian and you want to get in touch with the military, you find it pretty difficult. Um, you might know of a, of a military bar where military, military people hang out and you might talk to military personnel in that bar, but it's fairly difficult to talk to or get in touch with military command. If you're trying to start a business and you think the military would be interested in your business, it's difficult to facilitate the, you know, the, to broker, uh, the use of a civilian organization with, uh, with the military, the military's, it's basically sort of a closed, um, a closed, uh, structure that, uh, it, it mainly refers only to military and when they bring in civilians, it's on very specific grounds, and uh, they do it very circumspectly. Um, it's just like that in a foreign country. The military goes in, and they don't really have a lot of contact with. The chain of command doesn't have a lot of contact with, and most people in the unit don't have a lot of contact with the, the locals. They might go to a local store and buy something at the local store. But they don't really have a lot of political or socioeconomic or sociopolitical uh, verbal interaction or um, agreement with the local population. It's difficult for each side to get in touch with the other side. Each side is sort of a, a separate and uh, unapproachable or impenetrable uh, um arranged structure that uh, doesn't really, you know, short of dismantling it, you can't really get inside of it very well. And this is another reason why counterintelligence tends to get involved. Uh, they That's their area of specialty, uh, getting inside without dismantling things. And that's what they, that's one of their, the areas that they work in. So in addition to advice uh, would be control, uh, we're authorized, of uh, the circulation of civilians, uh, the agencies of government and economic processes and civilian activities 
or conditions that affect operations uh, of the military. Um, so radio stations, radio stations, uh, libraries, um, uh, medical facilities, uh, that kind of thing. So the application of international law is important for civil affairs. Uh, international law is regarded as having two branches. Uh, one is dealing with peaceful relations between the states or nations, and the other is concerned with armed hostilities between states or nations. Uh, the division is not absolute or or um, without overlap. There, there are a lot of different facets of international relations that are are difficult to to consider as belonging to the law of peace or the law of war. Uh, both branches are uh, also have a, a undefined gray area in between that apply to civil affairs relations. Uh, the law of peace deals with matters uh, in recognition of states and nations and their governments, their jurisdiction, their nationality, diplomatic protocol, and the prerequisites for and construction of international agreements. And generally, uh, the practices and standards observed by uh, the friendly states or nations and their mutual relations with each other. Uh, evidence of uh, the, the law of peace is found in lawmaking treaties, uh, the decisions of international and national judicial bodies, the writings of jurists, diplomatic correspondence, and other documentary materials uh, concerning the practice of states or nations. And uh, the law of peace is particularly relevant to uh, defining the rights and obligations of a military force uh, that's de that's deployed in a territory of an allied state or nation, and not only where there's civil affairs dis uh, civil affairs agreement, but also where there's no applicable agreement or with disagreement or with respect to matters on which such agreement is silent. Uh, the law of war governs matters as to the conduct of hostilities on land, sea, and air, uh, the status and treatments of persons affected by hostilities, like uh, prisoners of war, uh, sick and wounded, um, civilian persons, the occupation of any enemy territory, uh, flags of truce, armistice, uh, surrender agreements, neutrality, war crimes, that sort of thing. Uh, law of war is derived from two principal sources, Lawmaking treaties, such as uh, Treaty of the Hague and Geneva Convention, and uh, custom, basic custom, a, a body of unwritten law that's uh, established by the practice of nations and is defined by recognized authorities on international law. And ordinarily, a provision of international agreement is it's that's binding on a state or a nation only to the extent that it has consented to be bound by the uh, agreement. Uh, however, with a humanitarian principle, it enunciated in a law, making a treaty um, it, that's binding on a state or nation, even though it may not have agreed to or have repu repudiated the agreement containing that humanitarian rule in question. Uh, the law of war is inspired by a desire to diminish the evils of war by protecting combatants and non-combatants from unnecessary suffering, uh, safeguarding fundamental human rights and the persons 
who fall into the hands of the enemy, particularly prisoners of war, the wounded, sick, and civilians, and then also the, re- the facilitating of the restoration of peace. Uh, in the furtherance of those objectives, the law of war imposes limitations on the, the exercise of a belligerent's power and uh, requires that belligerents refrain from employing any kind of uh, degree of violence that is not actually necessary for military purposes and that they conduct hostilities with regard for the principles of humanity and chivalry. Uh, the law of war is binding not only upon states and nations, but also upon individuals, and in particular the members of the armed forces. Uh, the law of war is particularly relevant to civil affairs operations uh, that affect enemy populations, not only during occupation, but also during a period of hostilities preceding occupation and uh, and also in situations in which an occupation of territory is not an objective of the conflict. So, there's a lot of, there's a lot of operational leeway there. Um, you know, armed conflict is not always, it's not always a, an army. Uh, there's a variation of army, just like uh just like a patrol is a, is an extension of an army, you know, it can go the opposite way. Uh, a small group of persons can be a, an extension of a larger um, uh, effort of conflict. And uh, this is something they deal with at the War College. There's a lot of discussion about the the extent it goes uh, from top to bottom. Um, In respect to the agreements uh, to which provisions of law of peace are particularly relevant, uh, there's the Charter of the United Nations, uh, the NATO Status of Forces Agreement, and with respect to agreements to which the provisions of the law of war are particularly relevant, there's the Hague Convention, that's uh, of October 1907, and uh, the 49 Geneva Civilian Convention, uh, and then the Geneva Convention. Uh, For an interpretation, uh, there's an explanation of that, and I probably will go over that later. Uh, There's a couple treaties governing land warfare. Uh, on those agreements, uh, the NATO Status of Forces Agreement is a significant. It, it, uh, it's a precedent that's established concerning the law applicable to visiting military forces when they're in the territory of a friendly state or nation. Uh, the Hague regulations are important. Uh, they, they, they're regarded as a, a declaratory of, of law applicable between belligerents. So... Uh, the conventions supplement the Hague regulations, which by uh, their literal terms apply are applied only to a war, the actual war, quote, a war, meaning armed conflict between parties, uh, signatory thereto, by broadening the scope of the treaty law to cover not only uh, armed conflict or war, but also any other armed conflict, 
and any partial or total occupation involving their signatories. Uh, an international agreement of particular significance to civilian uh, to civil affairs personnel is the Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict. Uh, a signatory to the agreement at The Hague in 1954 uh, outlines measures by which armed forces, the armed forces can take in preservation of historical, cultural, and scientific property in an enemy territory uh, to preserve it uh, as the territory infrastructure collapses and then to reinsert it after the uh, territory infrastructure has been reconstructed. Um, so civil affairs also has to be familiar with the legal obligations of the uh, of artistic objects, archives, monuments, shrines, and other types of cultural property, respecting those those uh, civilian establishments, uh, which seem, you know, relevant to the arts and sciences and not so much relevant to uh, socioeconomic or, but it's considered to be sociocultural. So, you know, the idea is to not completely um, destroy uh, the civilian socioeconomic, sociopolitical, and... Uh, um, national structure and where possible to preserve it. And civil affairs acts on that. Um, civil affairs itself, the civil, civil affairs occupation is, is constructive and facilitative. Uh, and it should be kept in mind that, uh, you know, other occupations have a, have a, an infiltrative and possibly destructive Sometimes they get together and uh, they work together and they don't really work together that well. And uh, the, the constructive part of civil affairs is negated by the destructive part of uh, the joint um, the joint team effort with the various occupational um, representatives. Uh, you know, um, cooperating with or working with or uh, in liaison with civil affairs. Uh, so for the phasing of civil affairs, there's a, there's a responsibility for the conduct of civil affairs in an, in an integral aspect of a military command or in uh uh, chain of command, uh, the degree of emphasis and the nature of activities in which forces become directly involved are as diversified as uh, the scope of the functional and geographical locations, areas, political climate, and national policies um, available. Uh, there are uh, varying parameters of civil affairs functions depending upon the varying political military aspect of the international scene and the transition from peace to war or from war into peace is a process that influences the character of a, of a military civil relationship and it, it affixes responsibilities for the performance of those specific civil affairs functions. So during a static period of peace 
military relationships with the civilian population fall primarily into the area of liaison and coordination uh, with the necessary intention to affect long and well-established mutual support with civilian authority while retaining paramount authority and control regarding uh, military operation. Uh, when hostilities are in progress, the civilian government apparatus frequently requires military reinforcement, and it, it, it ensures a continuity of, of normal civilian functions requisite for, for the maintenance of uh, civilian order or livelihood and institutions and reciprocally, reciprocally uh, it, the expanded military forces need increased civilian support. Uh, the military organization diverts only those resources and takes only those measures in its dealing with civilian authorities and population essential to uh, its required mission, and it dictates uh, national policy only to the extent that it's necessary. As hostilities cease or the emergencies terminated and the agencies of civilian government and administration are reconstituted, uh, the responsibility for civil affairs functions is transferred to civilian authorities and agencies. That's a transition. Uh, responsibility for proponency and liaison. And uh, it's from military to state department or other government agency in matters of policy and functional relationship between government and people concerned. Uh, when when forces are stationed in an overseas area on training or security or emergency assignment, uh, particularly where there's political and economic stability lacking, uh, the divisive potential amongst uh, different agencies present is considerable during the gray area uh, when they're transitioning between peacetime and wartime or conflict and peacetime. Uh, if several government departments are involved in matters like budgeting or programming and supervising, uh, really nasty problems can be prevented or resolved by uh, maintaining a complete objectivity and a mutual understanding of capabilities and a close coordination among agencies concerned uh, via civil, civil affairs units. So civil affairs, um, fulfills an obligation to treaties, agreements, and international law as the military is entering the, uh, entering the, the war zone. Uh, as it moves into operation, it transfers responsibilities for civil affairs functions uh, to civil agencies and governments when military and political situation permits. So they allow local agencies to run their local affairs as much as possible while the military is handling military operations uh, in a larger strategic effort. And then as it moves into peacetime, out of military operation into peacetime, uh, civil affairs develops plans and trains for the uh, for civilian authorities to assume civil affairs responsibilities uh, of liaison and, and uh, activity and and to build up civil affairs capabilities in um, in the indigenous forces so for civil affairs advice and assistance uh, they support the country 
team operations and they administer certain strategic areas under, under jurisprudence. And then as it moves from peacetime into support of uh, an, a newly established nation in, uh, in peacetime operations uh, with the expectation that they're going to rotate, that the, the military force is going to rotate out, uh, they provide civil affairs, provides and implements national policies where we're able to maintain, you know, to, to establish control and then to sort of uh, release the control lines out of the uh, military structure as the, as the military um, rotates out of the country. And uh, and return those control lines back into the into the um, the civil national government that's in place. So civil affair function uh, for the purposes of of uh, training, research, planning, and operation effectiveness. Civil affairs is administered on a functional basis. Uh, with areas of specialization arranged into categories that generally adapt to diverse socio-political economic ramifications uh, of, of civilian communities. Each function is related to a certain extent uh, to every other function, and the interlocking relationship does not permit assignment of exclusive interest to any one functional area. Uh, there's extensive liaison and coordination, and that's also required with other military units like uh, military intelligence, military police, uh, engineers, signal, medical, quartermaster, and uh, counterintelligence was one I mentioned. Uh, in civil affairs operations, aside from purposes of organization and training, the functional breakdown is not arbitrary, but it's designed to provide sufficient flexibility to fit special requirement of any area or situation. Uh, so in applying those functions in any foreign land, the, the chain of command has to be constantly alert to avoid projection of an organizational concept from, uh, the U from national, state, or local forms previously encountered. So in a, in a foreign country, the following functions are commonly assigned to, to uh, postal ministries, in addition to the responsibility for carrying mail, there are oftentimes there are a telephone service or a telegraph service or a radio service. There can be bus transportation. Uh, that's a mechanized retention of the original postal service, the staged, the staged service between from point to point, and uh, commercial banking. Uh, that includes accounts, funds transfers, other transactions, in addition to savings deposits. <clears throat> And also legal things like uh, um, uh, providing uh, um, a legal reference uh, corresponding to legal documentation. So um, observing uh, the signatory person signing the document and then val validating that the document was signed um, 
you know, was seen to be signed by the person in question for legal purposes. So that's a, that's another carrying the mail also, you know, covers that, uh, included in the areas of specialization for those functions, uh, related to government utilities and services, private or public, uh, the range of economic matters covers categories like manufacturing, distribution, sale of goods, um, agricultural products, money, banking, uh, civilian community associated with communications, media, displaced persons, cultural and documentary collections, education, religion, uh, sociological institutions. So for the purposes uh, of consideration, uh, there's about uh, like 21 separate functions. Um, the number could increase or decrease depending on uh, mission and operational circumstances. So a type of organization, individual functions, uh, reflect, a, reflect a type of organizations, a type of organization more nearly related uh, or consolidated into four general categories. Um, there's government, economic, public facilities, and special function. Uh, the breakdown of activities within each function is predicated upon uh, situations where the military uh, and the chain of command exercise control to illustrate complete application. So there's a lesser degree of authority and scope of mission uh, that entails correspondingly lesser activity in each function, but to some extent in, in all conditions of uh, peace and war, uh, the chain of command is directly concerned with uh, government, that's the civil government, the legal side of the government, public safety, public health, public welfare, public finance, public education, and labor. Uh, economic, so that's the economics, commerce, and industry, food and agriculture, price control and rationing, property control, civilian supply, and uh, then also public facilities, so public works and utilities, public communications, public transportation, and then uh, a special consideration uh, areas would be civil information, displaced persons, arts, monuments, and archives, and religious affairs. So in some countries, when uh, when the military goes in, there's uh, this, these are all very strongly and firmly established. And uh, there's less liaison required. Mainly it's just a liaison of, uh, of uh, functionaries of those institutions with the, with the military as the military undertakes its operations against, uh, against the national military. Um, and sometimes those are completely missing. It's a very simple, structured... Uh, internal government and a lot of those things are missing or they've they've been in at war for a long period of time and there's a peacekeeping operation moving in and you know there's no most of those things have been dismantled or destroyed or they were never in place to begin with or 
or they're in place, but they're in place improperly. So each of those organizations are organizations that civil affairs um, interacts with. They, those functions that they undertake are, are on these, in these areas. Uh, they facilitate liaison and um, uh, agreements with uh, and hiring with the civil government, uh, the legal um, sector, uh, public safety, public health, public welfare, public finance, public education, and labor. They interact with all of those. And uh, they, also, they also help command, interact with the economics of the area, uh, the chain of command to, um, they work with chain of command to facilitate uh, the use of commerce and local commerce and industry where necessary and where possible. Food, use of food and agriculture, local food and agricultural agriculture, where necessary and where possible, and uh, to maintain price control and rationing as possible, and and then to prevent damage and property control both from the civilian to the military side and from the military to the civilian side, and then the civilian supply of uh, you know supply and their supply chain, supply and demand. Uh, they work to establish agreements with public facilities, public works and utilities, public communications, and public transportation. So, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when the military arrived in Saudi Arabia during the Gulf War and, uh, they were taken out to their, um, the, uh, base sites, which were outside of, uh, Riyadh, they went by bus and those buses were were um, the agreements for the hiring of those buses that was facilitated by a civil affairs unit and civil civil affairs personnel uh, then the special areas would be civil information displaced persons arts monuments and archives and religious affairs and civil affairs works there uh, to maintain what is a sort of an abstract section of uh, of social structure, socio-political and socio-economic structure that is important to the uh, maintenance of the national identity of the people uh, where possible. So government functions are included in the grouping of functions uh, dealing with matters customarily involved with government activity or control. Uh, the general areas of concern include the organization and conduct of local government, political activity, review, advice, or correction of civil officials in accordance with competent directives, and the implementation of policy decisions with respect to control or other relationships with government and area of operations. So the command, the chain of command, you know they're always running into this. Like they, they want to run an operation, but, you know, the, how far can they go with the operation? And... Uh, legally and how much impact will the operation have on the local populace and how much damage will it do to the local populace and uh, after it's done that damage how much is it going to cost to reconstruct the damage damaged areas so that the local populace who is not involved in the uh, the military conflict how how can this you know if the hill if the hospital is destroyed how is it going to be reconstructed so commanders always can, they always have to think about this when they 
plan an operation, how much damage is going to be done and, and where that damage is going to be done and how to handle it. Um, civil government is concerned with the structure and con conduct of local government. It encompasses methods of establishing legislative and executive agencies uh, from national to local levels and the process of the agencies and administration of civil government. Uh, it includes considerations like uh, political parties or el eligibility for franchise, elections, tenure, uh, all other aspects of uh, development operation of a governmental apparatus. And uh, chain of command has an area of responsibility and with the staff uh, regarding that and civil affairs are charged as appropriate with surveying government and governmental organizations at all levels. Uh, surveying lines of authority and influence having impact on political matters. Analyzing effectiveness of existing agencies of government or social control. Uh, studying effectiveness of governmental officials and employees and of other community leaders and removing persons who are inimical to the United to the uh, the military the uh, occupying military force or who are not in sympathy with its policies and objectives and securing the appointment of leaders who will further uh, the desired programs um, intended to stabilize the country and uh, also for negotiating to gain support or cooperation for United States for forces, uh, United States or occupying forces, you, uh, recommending organizations, functioning, staffing, and, and authority of agencies or governments or social control, uh, advising, conducting liaison with, supervising, controlling, or replacing organs of government, and participating on joint commission uh, committees or councils concerned with governmental affairs. Civil affairs has... Um, has a, a, a mission in all of those areas. Uh, some of civil affairs is to go out and uh, employ PhDs that are capable in that area to help do research. Uh, sometimes they just use local um, educated persons, uh, and sometimes it's done from within the civil affairs unit itself. Uh, for legal, the function is the civil affairs. The function is concerned with the legal system of the area and the application of international law and civil affairs operations. So chain of command has civil affairs area responsibility and their staff and civil affairs units are charged as appropriate with uh, the translation of legal aspects of civil affairs operations into plans and directives, into plans and directives, uh, analysis and interpretation of a civil and criminal laws of the territory, particularly restraints imposed upon civil populace, study of the organization of the judicial system, including a determination of legal status and jurisdiction of civil courts and law, review of local organization of uh, bar, uh, the local organization of the bar, uh, legal bar, and, uh, and determining the reliability of the members of the bar, so the lawyers and attorneys. And uh, the examination of locally accepted forms of judicial procedure that include uh, rules of evidence and the rights of the accused. Uh, assistance to commanders and staffs in the preparation of uh, 
proclamation, ordinances, orders, and directives as otherwise may be required, uh, the establishment of necessary civil affairs tribunals and other judicial and administrative agencies, uh, number, type, jurisdiction, procedure, and delegation of appointed authorities, the closure uh, or reopening of local tribunals, that includes courts, boards, commissions, and their jurisdiction, jurisprudence, organization, and procedures, and uh, the class of cases, uh, the tribal classes of cases therein. Uh, also to set recommendations concerning the suspension or abrogation of laws, procedural rules applicable to local courts, recommendation concerning the alteration, suspension, or promulgation of laws to include civil uh, leg legislation for the uh, the government of the area in which the military forces are deployed. Uh, it can be necessary to, to deny enforcement effect to local legislation or to adopt new laws essential to the control of the area in question and the protection of uh, of the uh, occupying force, and then such legislation that conforms to applicable provision of, uh, of occupying national law and international law that are guidance. And uh, so, for example, the Geneva Civilian Convention would be important to consider, and so would the Geneva Convention both. Uh, supervision of the administration of civil and criminal laws by local officials, provision of members for uh, civil affairs tribunals, uh, review or administration, administrative examples uh, of cases tried in civil affairs courts before referred, being referred to higher headquarters for final review, and then arrangements for transmittal of civilian claims against the United States uh, to the proper agency. So civil affairs courts, this is... Uh, this is JAG. Uh, JAG isn't obviously civil affairs. It works with civil affairs. It's where civil affairs and JAG work together. Um, JAG is the judicial section of the military that maintains military law. So those uh, military law doesn't apply to local civilians, but uh, a tribunal would be set up according to sort of a an overlap of military law with uh, occupying military law with with local uh, established laws such as they would normally have for their tribunals or um, um, and in this case tribunal is just uh, a, a, a a briefly constructed court that stands in place of a permanent court that would be uh, found in a in a, an established judicial system, in a in a an established and stable uh, political socio political environment. Um, so then, arrangements for transmittal of uh, civilian claims against. Uh, the occupying force to the proper agency. I, I mentioned that one already quite quite extensively. So for public safety, uh, the function for civilian uh, for civil affairs and civilian operations includes, in addition to the establishment and maintenance of, of public order and safety, uh, the coordination of civil defense plans and the measure uh, with which the military plans for rear area defense and damage control. And then chain of command has area of responsibility uh, their staffs 
and uh, units are charged and uh, with appropriate conduct and then civil affairs is charged as appropriate with examination of customary mes- customary methods uh, of announcing regular regulations concerning conduct of the people and of the law enforcement methods having traditional uh, respect among the civilian population. Uh, the study of uh, organizational capabilities, equipment, and functioning of existing law and order agencies, confinement a- facilities, civil defense, and firefighting agencies. So this recently happened in uh, the Ukraine. Um, there was a fire um, in a, there were two, one was in a, a fuel Depot and one was in a um, a box uh, warehouse storage area, and the there was an inferno, and uh, the fire department. So there is an Arab region at war. Uh, the local fire department had to come in and put out the fire. So there has to be a fire department, and the fire department has to have a functioning fire engine and access to water supplies to put out a fire. So if the local populace does not have a fire department, the civil affairs um, section works to either help establish a fire department, if that's possible, or to uh, bring in the military fire department and begin establishing the basis for a local fire department with training and construction so that the local populace can provide its own fire, fire control and fire prevention. Um, so the, an additional, uh, responsibility would be analysis of the character of the population with respect to orderliness and obedience to law, coordination with counterintelligence elements of the intelligence corps in a, that was, uh, in prevention and detection of espionage, sabotage, subversion, and civilian aid to guerrilla activities, uh, preparation and for plans, procedure, and recommendation for re- restoring law and order, and then the supervision of civilian agencies uh, that enforce law and maintain order with particular attention to looting, rioting, control of liquor and narcotics, collection, disposition of weapons, explosives, and implements of war in the hands of civilians, uh, enforcement regulation and other measures of occupant, uh, you know, of the of the occupant nation, uh, the assurances of proper posting of proclamations and notices, that's uh, also a, a concern of civil civil affairs, uh, enforcement of orders relating to security control uh, the, of the civil of the civilian population, uh, including as necessary establishing and uh, operating a pass system, registration of individuals, checkpoints, curfews, communications, regulations, control of assembly, uh, and arrest of unwanted persons. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something that falls in the jurisdiction of, uh, sometimes it's, um, uh, sometimes it's uh, done by the military police of the occupying force, and sometimes it's done by... Um, uh, combat units of uh, the occupying force. Uh, the Marines do a lot of that. Uh, they they have a sort of a a very 
sparse, um, semi-civil affairs group that uh, that coordinates with the Army Civil Affairs and uh, and works to establish those. A lot of those are set up by units. You know, units set up the uh, checkpoints and so on. But after a while, as uh, as the the uh, the wartime, the active um, the active war zone begins to move into a a more peaceful civilian setting. While those checkpoints remain, uh, there's a civil affairs um, liaison and um, activity for the maintenance of that that checkpoint where there's conflict with the local population. So the local population doesn't have, like I gave this example before, the local population doesn't have an ID card, so they need to have an ID card there. Civil Affairs works to facilitate the, um, the, the attaining of an ID card per family or for every individual you know, within that area that needs to have an ID card to pass checkpoints so that the civilian civilians can move back and forth between checkpoints, which are intended to, uh, to confront, um, non, they're, they're intended to confront, uh, the, the military conflict um, as it passes, th- you know, through the civilian population, it's intended to confront uh, combatants, not non-combatants. But non-combatants pass through regularly, and combatants, of course, also pass through regularly as appearing to be non-combatants. So the 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 civil affairs helps to try to iron out the conflict that arises at that point. So every checkpoint is a, is a conflict point that civil affairs works on. Um, civil affairs coordinates and integrates civil defense measures with rear area security and damage control plans and supervises civilian activities in integrated plans. Uh, they arrange, they make arrangements for warning services and other military assistance and for civilian protection and recovery. Uh, they supervise administration of jails and prisons. Uh, they they facilitate this. They do not actually do it themselves. These are all things that they work with the military and the civilian side to provide personnel to fill these positions and within the statutes of 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 law and legal parameter. Uh, they requisition and the issuance of required police and fire department equipment in accordance with approved policies and uh, activities regarding impounding or safeguarding supplies, materials, equipment, building, or areas as may be required for any civil affairs function or activity and the determination of suitability of government employees and public officials uh, in working with the military or um, you know, for further, for further continuity of the existing 
civilian structure. Uh, They also work with public health, and uh, I have about four minutes left on this episode, this section, so I'm going to call it quits on this, mostly. Um, This sounds like civil affairs runs the whole thing. They don't. They just... uh, Basically, when the military comes in, civil affairs is is at its lowest ebb. It does very little. It uh, it facilitates some um, contact with the local populace as the military enters the war zone. Uh, Counterintelligence is at its highest at that point. Counterintelligence often has gone in before the military enters, and uh, and they they facilitate the entry of the military by means of a liaison with the civil affairs into the country, and then the military moves in and it begins military operations. So then the military operations proceed. After a while, uh, it begins to make some uh, headway in changes in the country. As it begins to make changes in the country, the country begins to move into a transitional point of it's in between peacetime and wartime, and this is uh, this is where there are checkpoints and all this, where the uh, the deconstructed uh, civil um, structures are um, reconstructed in some way that uh, facilitates the stability of a of a, a positive government that represents people and. Uh, and civil affairs it begins to um, move into a more um, active role. The military begins to downgrade its role, and uh, um, the counterintelligence, uh, they begin to, their role is minimizing also uh, in conjunction with the movement of the country into peacetime. Then... The country, the nation begins to move into a peacetime structure and the military begins to move its people, move its units out and its personnel out. And the uh, civil affairs goes into its highest uh, rate of function at that point. They're facilitating uh, all of the moving out by means of uh, assistance from local businesses and um, organizations, and they're also helping to stabilize the local government by, you know, tying up the loose ends and and uh, attaching the loose strings that are left over from what the military was uh, providing as a, as a operating force, as a, um, as the authority in the country. And uh, counterintelligence moves out ahead of the military force, and then finally the military force closes its operations. Uh, Civil affairs wraps up the final bits of operation and closes it down, and everybody returns home. And that's the end of it. That's the end of this episode.